Welcome to Study Show, where we talk about the use and misuse of scientific research in popular conversation and its cultural implications. I'm Rahman, and I'm here with my cousin Imran. Today we're going to talk about representations of love in the media, dating apps, and the algorithms behind the technology which more and more people are using to find love. What are the limits of our free will in modern dating? Are our decisions being invisibly guided? In an episode of Season 2 of Master of None, uh, Ziz Ansari's character Dev is on a date with a black woman who's a co-worker from a previous gig he was on. Oh, being a black woman on these apps? Completely different situation. I mean, compared to my white friends, I get way less activity. I also find that I rarely match with guys outside of my race. Same for me. A lot of my matches are Indian women. I did read somewhere that the people that do worst on the apps are Asian men and black women. Well, it's great white people finally have an advantage somewhere. Cheers to that. white people. <laughs> and that fact that Dev mentions is most likely coming from, um, or a reference to some data that OkCupid published a few years ago. And according to their research of their own users, um, which is like, I think they said a few million people, um, they found that, for instance, 82% of non-black men on OkCupid show some bias against black women. And uh, similarly, you know, uh, Asian men and Asian women also face certain biases. And so the question for us today is really twofold. One, why might that be happening in life and in the real world? Uh, But then part two, you know, what role does technology itself play in that? Meaning the apps or the websites, um, are they... Um, pushing us in a certain direction or are people simply expressing their actual desires and the technology is like just capturing it. So I guess, you know, uh, to start with, uh, Ruman, um, I was going to ask you whether or not algorithms are biased, but I think you also had an email, (laughs) an email from one of your friends from OkCupid that you wanted to... Yeah. Uh, So the question is whether or not the technology plays a role in any of this, whether or not the apps and the websites are are driving or making these biases worse. So yes, algorithms can be biased, and sometimes you actually do want algorithms to be biased. Now, the question is whether or not it's biased in a way that impacts a particular subgroup worse than others by taking certain behaviors and magnifying or enabling worse behavior. So... I had a lot of thoughts about this. Um, so ultimately, behind all of these apps are you know are algorithms, and an algorithm is just some function of inputs that give you an output, right? So it's it, so the one thing to think about, um, and it's not even overly complicated, right? This algorithm will give you out what the data is that you put in. So we can take a minute and think about what the data is that these websites are getting from us and how it might be using that to create this idea of a match, right? So um, what are the things we assume are important in matching like people? Uh, and what is our construct for successful pairing? So ultimately, if you are a data scientist trying to create this algorithm, the question is, what is the construct for a successful match? And you have to assume that it's some sort of a measurable quantity. Uh, and there's a couple of problems with this. One uh, is that I believe it's 54% of people lie on their um, dating apps. So every engineer or data scientist knows the term GIGO, which means garbage in, garbage out. And it seems like more than half of people are giving us some sort of garbage. And there are stories about people trying to hack their profile. And actually, if you just Google dating apps, there's all these 
um, instructions and guides on how to hack your profile to be more likable to the people you want. So these are things to consider when we think about these biases. So um, is it enabling us? Possibly. So Iman, I've actually never used a dating app before. Um, have you? I have. Do you have any familiarity into the kinds of questions okay. that are asked? Um, yes. So I have um, used dating apps, and um, you know the questions that they ask are different. Some don't ask any questions, and you just look at people's pictures, basically. But uh, others, like for instance, OkCupid, they ask you. Uh, questions in kind of a tiered way where there'll be a, a situation they'll ask you to um, kind of respond to the situation whether you know it'll be something like could you date someone who had different politics than you and you say yes no maybe um, it doesn't matter and then they'll have a second tier where they'll ask you to rate the the importance of that question to you in your potential match or, or person you want to go on a date with and so that's one way. And then you get like a percentage. You start to see people's pictures and you get a percentage of how likely they are to match with you. Um, and so that's one way in which you can already kind of see. I'm sure you can um, see, Ramon, how that would potentially be biased or uh, limiting in many ways. Um, because also when you go in, you put in a certain set of data, like you said, just like any other of these websites, about yourself, your preferences, your background, your job, whatever you want to tell them, and um, your interests and your height. And all, there are a lot of opportunities to lie, but also to um, potentially get different sets of data or like people not reporting everything about themselves. Um, so, that, so that's one way that those happen. And then the other way is mostly, you know, a lot of the apps, you just kind of look at pictures and you write a profile of who you are, but really the only, um, there's no set amount of information you have to give the app. So then the person's really just judging you based on what you chose to share and um, their swipe left or right for like on Tinder or Bumble right. or something, whether or not they're interested in you. And so, um, so one, one, thing, our- one thing that sticks out to me is where they match like with like. Uh, so in the OkCupid algorithm, um, they use you know with the match percentages, they actually tier people. So there's this uh, OkCupid email you get. I was talking to a friend of my a friend of mine about this today, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I just got the you're hot email from OkCupid," and then I was asking him what that meant, and and he forwarded me the email that he got, and it says something like. We just detected that you're now among the most attractive people on OkCupid. We learned this from clicks to your profile and reactions to you in Double Take. Did you get a new haircut or something? Well, it's working. To celebrate, we've adjusted your OkCupid experience. You'll see more attractive people in your results. This won't affect your match percentages, which are still based purely on your answers and desired matches answers, but we will recommend more attractive people to you. You'll also appear more often to other attracted people. So that's horrifying to me. Um, so what they're saying is the old 80s adage of a cheerleader would never date a nerd, I suppose. Only good-looking people want to be with other good-looking people. Implicitly in that email, they are saying that what people care the most about is appearance. And the other stuff is very secondary. So to remind you of the text of the email, it's about this friend of mine was considered a physically attractive which would not affect match percentages based on answers. So purely based on appearance, this individual is now seeing better looking people 
and what they determine to be worse-looking people will see other worse-looking people. It just, I just I find it worrisome that there's so much um, emphasis placed on appearance more than anything else. And this is where I worry about the app guiding preference versus preference guiding the app. Yeah, and I think also that you know it reminds me of in, for instance, in the Bumble app, they will tell you that um, the people you see first are the ones who get the most swipes or whatever, or or are selected the most. So you get you get basically put to the front of the line if you are either very attractive, or I believe if you pay, or there's some of these services where you can like pay a premium service to be amongst those premium people, which again you know gets into uh, some of the issues here in terms of like being unbiased. And I'll, and of course, you know, this is something we always talk about is that, you know, we come into these things with our own biases. And so to allow people to um, kind of, you know, the idea of what is most beautiful or what is most attractive or who is most beautiful and attractive, those are not like actual um, scientific facts. You know, they're based on, um, preferences and one of the thing or and preferences that were taught and so one of the things right. that, that I think about sorry go ahead oh no I was gonna say absolutely so these preferences are often cultural um, it's a conversation that goes on all the time when we talk about women of color and how women of color are judged to be good-looking or not good-looking is a reflection of how white they look not just on their skin tone but on their features so when we say attractiveness what do we actually mean this is where we start getting into the meat of things and in terms of whether or not uh, dating preferences can be biased so I'd, I'd love your your idea of that so what influence does popular media have on our perception of beauty and what an attractive person is yeah and I think one of the interesting data points that OkCupid has on their blog from their 2014 study of of their users is they showed that when people, you know, you're, you can self-select the race that you are or how many races apply to you. And so they could track that when people listed that they were just Asian, for instance, um, their average ratings on a scale, I believe it's on a scale of one to five, I, I could be incorrect, but was a 2.43. But if they wrote that their races were Asian plus white, it went up to 2.74. So increase. And the same thing happened if someone said they were black or they said they were black and white, then their increase went up by 14%. So um, it is very much determined by factors which aren't like, you know, that are coming from places other than just the app itself or our own, um, what we think are our own perceptions. Because we live in a world that since we're young kids, we grow up watching movies and watching TV where we're shown images of not only what's beautiful and what what is attractive, but what love looks like. And I think that's an important idea that's in our heads we may not even realize is that, you know, whether it's like books you read where they tell you what the people look like or actual like TV, movies, commercials, advertisements, we're always getting images that are telling us this is what love looks like. You know, it'll be like, uh, it's something as simple as like a Valentine's Day ad at Walgreens on the wall to an actual, your favorite movie uh, growing up about love, you know, or uh, the romantic comp. Sorry, go ahead. And part of it is who deserves to have love. 
I think that's that's an important conversation when we look at uh, movies and, and modern media. It's always a very particular kind of person who is allowed to have love and all the secondary characters. So the worst case scenario is you end up with these, um, you know, the emasculated Asian is one, right? So Asian men, especially East Asian men, very rarely are shown to have love interests because they are supposed to be emasculated and nerdy and geeky and nobody would ever think of them as a love interest. And the other end, which is you know also horrifying, if not more so, is the kill your gays trope of every time somebody finds gay love, they die as this implicit form of either punishment or you know some sort of, a, I don't know what it is, but kill your gays is a huge problem that we see in TV shows and movies. So it's not even just who falls in love and how they fall in love, but it's also who's even allowed to have love. Yeah, and, and this goes, you know, I always like to point out that it goes two ways in the sense that it's not only how other people view you, but how you learn to view yourself. And, and so one of the things that you know is relevant even in dating apps is that the, on one hand you have the people that you choose for for yourself like you when you look at a picture and you think um, this is a, a person who's attractive or this is a person who's not attractive to me there's also the idea that we learn this is someone who might like me or this is someone who wouldn't like me and those are also ideas which I think media teaches us like you're saying it's not only who gets love who deserves love and who can love other people and so you you start to have these storylines that come in like if we don't see women of color falling in love very often in film, which we don't. It's very rare. And when they do, it's usually with a man of color. It's not going to be interracial. Yeah. Or, you know, well, I don't know, actually. I think I think actually we might, uh, for instance, in the top 25, you have like the only woman of color who's in there is Whitney Houston in The Bodyguard, and she's loving a white, mm. a white guy. And, but but I, I mean, it's mostly like that women of color just aren't there at all. Yeah, but uh, they're, not, but, they're not doing that because they're there. Supporting character, they're not there to be the main interest. Yeah, and so you get this this sense that that's not part of the the, the plan of love, right. and then, and then like there's also cultural narratives that like kind of reinforce that, like this you know single black women, you know like the idea that this is a, a cultural problem. It is both both real but also reinforced by um, you know media, which shows us because we don't get to see those stories play out. I think a lot of us. We learn that this is the case. And so it's like kind of like a vicious circle cycle. And I guess my thing to tie it back to, to this is this is something that all of us are impacted in uh, by. So not, not just those of us who use these apps or these websites, but also um, people who create them. And so like you were saying earlier, it's like it's not as if an algorithm itself is actually anything more than you know a math or an, an equation or a set of numbers and stuff, but people, you know, who go about deciding what goes in and out and, or designing a website like okay, Cupid, they do bring those ideas with them and it's impossible for us not to. And so I guess, you know, it's less a question of how do we avoid that? Because I don't think you can avoid that. That's human. Um, as long as the world is, t is like that, <laughs> as long as the world is biased and the media is controlled by certain people and they have certain interests, we're going to have those, messages in our heads. So I guess what's interesting to me is to think about, you know, rather than saying artificial intelligence and these dating apps are totally useless, we might want to think about, could they possibly help us? Like, could they be uh, yeah. assisting us? One way to think about 
dating or selecting a partner is split into two parts. I really like this VentureBeat article that we'll link to in the show notes. And it splits up dating into two parts. One is evaluation, the other is selection. So evaluation is kind of what you do when you walk into a party or what you do when you go on Twitter and you literally just judge somebody uh, off the bat, right? Um, And evaluation traditionally would be something that maybe your friend would say, hey, so I know this guy or this this woman who you should talk to, you guys would really get along, and, and I think you'd be a good match. So this is implicitly what the algorithms are trying to do. And the second part, Uh, I would say probably the data scientists behind these dating app algorithms would say the second part is selection. That part's up to you. This is where you chat, you go on a date, you talk to each other. But the problem with this evaluation um, is that you know, they're they're limiting the pool of who you are able to select from um, and vice versa. And is this evaluation correct or not correct? Uh, So then that kind of brings us into this 36 questions thing, this 36 questions to fall in love, um, which was a big thing in the New York Times for a while. Um, and a lot of people took this uh, took this quiz with their partners, with random strangers. And, you know, what's really interesting is this algorithmic approach to love versus this 36 questions approach to love. And what I thought was really interesting is that when you look at the 36 questions, the intent is not to match each other. It's actually to understand more about each other versus the idea of somebody hacking their profile, which uh, there's a TED Talk by Amy Webb, which she successfully does this and meets a person of her dreams. Um, it, it, so there's, it's actually a very different approach to love. So one is finding the person who is the same as you, which frankly to me sounds horrifying. Like I wouldn't, I'd be so bored if I knew if I had the same preferences as the person I was with all the time. Um, And the other is actually getting to understand somebody better uh, in this more intangible way, which frankly is very difficult to quantify, if not impossible. So what are your thoughts, Imran, on this dating as evaluation and selection and these algorithmic approach versus the more intangible approach? Yeah, and you know, I I think it's important that, you know, we're we're not going into an area where we're saying like online communication is ruining human connection. I I don't believe that. I I think in many ways, you know, online uh, dating and and networks have allowed people from all over the world to talk who couldn't previously. People in um, different marginalized groups are able to reach out to other people like them and and, and things like that and, and get support. So it's very, very important. So in fact, I think something like 36 questions, which is geared towards like getting to know someone more, to, uh, and I believe it, you know, it, it has the potential to kind of uh, inspire more intimate conversations or more, um, you know, personalized or uh, interesting conversations with uh, other human beings. But it's not necessarily something you have to do online, uh, offline. I think you could also do it online and as long as you're looking at each other because I think one of the activities requires you to stare at someone for four minutes Um which is really weird, uh, but effective um, in some ways. But, uh, you know, again, but with the 36 questions also comes certain limitations because we get into the same realm of like who's writing the questions or who wrote the questions. And, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily account for all bias um, either. 
And and so yeah, and and you're right. I use the term selfish love. So I mentioned earlier that I don't have dating apps. I don't have dating apps for very specific reason, uh, because it reminds me way too much of the South Asian marriage market and how horrifyingly biased against women it is. Because what we do at the end of the day is we boil women actually down to a bunch of physical characteristics and throw them into a pit to fight each other. And I just I just refuse to be part of that because when we boil. Marriage or dating down to a checklist of are you these things that I want? You're always looking out for the next best thing, and that's people's number one complaint about these apps, right? So when you get to know someone as a human, you see their flaws. But somebody on online looks perfect. They're saying the right things. They've got the right kind of smile. They never look ugly in the morning, right? Because you know what they look like in the morning. When you date a human being. Things become a lot more real, and if these possibilities of these imaginary perfect women or perfect men are being constantly thrown at you, then you are less willing to give somebody a chance. Who yes has flaws. Everybody has flaws. You have flaws. I have flaws. Right? We're not perfect, but the problem is by being able to curate our online selves, and the things we are allowed to curate aren't substantive. They are things like our pictures and our jobs and our education. Which don't have very much to do with things like compatibility and life partnership, at least not from my perspective. Frankly, I like these thirty-six questions much better because I would much rather know、um, what someone's perfect day is than what they do for a living. I, I really would,、uh, and I, I, and to to know that. There are certain people I, that would never talk to me, or I would not talk to them, because this algorithm has decided that this person isn't attractive enough for me, or I am not attractive enough for them. Just you know, rubs me the wrong way, and all just all sorts of ah,、uh, just really annoys me.、Uh, mainly because I don't I don't know what this objective attractiveness is supposed to be, as as we've brought up, right? So when we create these algorithms and these apps that That create, you know, these artificial tiers of attractiveness that are based on a particular kind of beauty.、Um, you know, it's incredibly problematic because we make the problem worse when we only show a particular kind of attractive person, another particular kind of attractive person. It's implicitly reinforcing their biases, even if they didn't have any. To be honest, right? So even if they didn't have a bias. Uh, they it it would be made worse, or it it would be implicitly imposed upon them through this algorithm. You know, not to I don't want to make it like scary, but like one of the things that I worry about in a, a dating app like、uh, Tinder or Bumble is that if especially if they are weighted towards certain people already, is that you're kind of like. Even though every day you go around and you see these stories on on screen, or you 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 watch shows and, and you are absorbing ideas about who is beautiful and who's not, what is love, what is not,、um, when you're using an app, you take an active role in it, and so you like you like swipe, you know, or you pick with your fingers, or you know, with your you're you're making a physical reaction to a picture, and so I wonder what happens if like. You spend hours looking at pictures, and you are choosing. This is good. This is bad. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. And how that is perhaps making your、um, perceptions of other people more limited, you know, and more、um, kind of like what you were saying. It's it's like reducing women in particular because it, it, that, in conjunction with the media and the way media presents women, if if. A bunch of guys are on apps swiping pictures of women, and then also consuming these images of what is. I just worry about like we're adding an extra step in your conditioning of like what is 
beautiful because now you are taking a physical act. I mean, it's kind of like a video game that everybody's playing, but they're participating in it. You know, they're like, um, so anyway, so that's, that's something I think about, but what, okay. So let's, let's think about this other idea, this, um, 36 questions, but how would you, I think one of the problems that would come up with this is, and the reason people even use dating apps is like, okay, I want to have, I want to ask somebody 36 questions, but how do I meet that person who I'm going to ask the 36 questions to, you know? Yeah. I mean, so here's where I sound like not a data scientist. Um, People treat dating like they treat getting a job and they treat it like it's a numbers game. And so many people I know, when they go on these dating apps, that's what they do. They go for spread. Literally, they do. They just go to like have multiple dates a day. And to be honest, um, if the person you are dating for that moment um, or one of the dates you're on has any sort of – intuition or you know has an ability to understand people they can tell that you have one foot out the door so i i would frankly say it's the same advice i'd give to people who are job hunting it's to limit your exposure and it's not a numbers game and what you should do is invest deeply into the few that you would like oh i was going to say i i would like to talk about the ok cupid experiment um that they did back in 2014 where they shut down images on their website, um, and they saw what happened to people's communications uh, when they when they shut down images. So this is really interesting because we I was just talking about how I don't like the idea of it being so image driven. So by the way, I was thinking about this. When I was thinking about this earlier in terms of algorithm. I realized there was a lot more than algorithm at play here. So key to any app or mobile or website is the user experience and user interface. And the user experience on these things are almost entirely image-based, right? So Tinder is on the one end of the spectrum where it's purely image-based. Um, and some of the older ones like Match.com are still very, very image-based. So this is like what percent of the screen is taken up by an individual's picture. And that that is that give, conveys a message to us. So the, the user experience on these uh, apps and websites are meant for you to focus on imagery. So that's it, it, this is not just people are like that. It's also implicit in the design. Um, so I really like this experiment because they shut down images and they wanted to see what happened. But it, so like in a nutshell, they were like, this was a stupid idea because traffic went down by quite a bit. But for the people who um, still contacted other people, what they found was that people responded to first messages 44% more often. Conversations went deeper. Contact details were exchanged more quickly. And in their words, in short, OkCupid worked better. But then, of course, when the photos were restored, they pretty much said that it was like it was like they turned on the lights uh, at the party after the party was over and conversations melted away. So, you know, take from that what you will. When we remove the the strong imagery from it, there was better communication. When the imagery was brought back, it died off. So, you know, whether or not this is the person and whether or not this is the algorithm, this is also worth it. Well, okay. What I think about is for many people that dating in the real world itself is not um, fair either. You know what I mean? Because we live – and this is real world too. I shouldn't say the internet is not real. It's real. But uh, I mean like in our – if you take out all the apps and you just go out into a bar, right, certain people are also already going to be seen as less – beautiful and and less likely to be approached. And so here's where I actually think that, you know, and I've seen certain different attempts to work on this. Like for instance, there's apps 
that are just for people of color or pe- there's apps where it's just for, I just saw one today that's just for interracial dating. Um, but so, you know, there are people who are trying to figure out how do I use the technology to correct for something that is an actual issue in our world because of, of actual biases and things like not only white supremacy, but ableism or, you know, ageism, things that actually impact, you know, who gets to feel like they can meet someone in the world. So one of the issues I find with like, it's, I don't have a solution. (laughs) And I think that's something I am struggling with is because we don't want to make it image based because that limits some people. But then the idea that images would limit certain people is itself a problem in our world, right? And so it, even if we get out in front of it and say, you have to answer these questions, um, how do we deal with the fact that when we finally see each other, whether it's online or in person, um, now we've got these biases. And I wonder if like, maybe the, the answer is if you get past 36 questions, maybe you won't care anymore. And if you, you haven't seen them yet, I, at that point, you've I, developed I think, such a good I, connection. I, I, you know, I don't yeah, know. I mean, I, I, think, I think that's entirely the point of 36 questions is to humanize people. Because when we boil people down to images, they're not human. They are that hot chick or that hot dude or that meh dude that I might date. You know, then they're not people. And and to be honest, I was having this conversation with that same friend who sent me that you're hot enough now in OkCupid email. Another reason I don't do these dating apps is because they're so image driven. And for me, people become more or less physically attractive based on what I feel about their personality. And sometimes that takes no more than 30 seconds for that to happen. So to be perfectly frank, it is a complete waste of time for someone like me to be on these apps because I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to assess somebody on their hotness or whatever because frankly, it doesn't really matter to me. Well, you know, I, I think we should say that for a lot of people, they're using apps, you know, um, just to hook up, to meet people for sex, for short-term um, relationships or encounters, which aren't any less legitimate than others and, and still require respect and intimacy and consent. Um, but also, you know, it's perhaps a problem that we center love so much, romantic love as an ideal in our culture overall, and, and apps can allow perhaps a, a way to escape that true. a bit. We're, we're talking as if everyone on these apps wants to find their soulmate, and that's not true at all. Some people yeah. just want to hook up. And, <laughs> the, and in that case, like, dude, I have no problem. Just find somebody hot, and as long as everyone's consenting, you do you, boo, right? Like, be happy. Well, but see, that's, yeah, I think even within that, there's this issue still comes up in like, okay, I want to hook up and be, I want to, I think I'm attractive. I want to hook up with someone else who's attractive, but the app's not letting the two attractive, like the people who might find me attractive or who I think are attractive, we're not able to meet each other because the apps think. Do these apps ask you? Do these apps ask you to rate yourself on your attractiveness? I'm dead serious. Because no, well, because you invite because men always overestimate how attractive they are, and women always underestimate how attractive they are. Yeah, and I think this brings us maybe to the overall point, which is you know the apps. It's really just the same in some ways as as in real life, in that you you are going into a world which you know um, is biased, and you have to come at it with an understanding of that. You know, and and even in um, you know if you were to go through like you mentioned earlier, arranged marriages or like a matchmaking service, like the point is like you're not really like I think we whatever method you choose. I mean, it's really understanding that. Um, 
those methods are coming from a certain perspective. Like you need to be in a heteronormative relationship and it's going to lead to marriage. Whereas like if you're, if you're trying to use that system to be in an open relationship with people of all genders and, you know, um, uh, all backgrounds, well, you might find it difficult, you know? And so I think that's one thing for, for individuals, but I think a bigger question is for those of people who are making these technologies. I mean, it's like, you're never going to be able to think of all the possibilities of, of human connections. But I think one of the things that you said today that, you know, is really useful is just for people to think about if they're in those positions, you know, are we dehumanizing people and how do we avoid that? And how do we make it so that people can actually, um, as much as possible, feel like they can show up as their authentic selves and like get to know each other. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I don't know how to make an app, but like that, I hope, I hope, and I wish that that's something people are considering. And especially as AI gets even more and more. I can tell you they are not. Yeah, that's, that's the fear. And of course. 100% they are not. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't think they really are. I don't, I don't think I think about these things at all. They're not thinking about the cultural implications and the social implications of what they're doing because ultimately they're trying to sell a product and the more immediately happy people, right? So we're actually not talking about people being long-term happy. We're actually talking about immediate gratification. The more immediate gratification you give people, the better their product does. And immediate gratification is actually built on negative things like biases, like racism, right? Uh, like, you know, immediately being told you're attractive or whatever. Um, and it's not, it's, not, it's not based on trying to help or solve some of these problems. Okay, well, uh, that's our show. Thank you for listening. Um, you can find more about uh, some of the studies we mentioned and each of us at studieshow.tumblr.com, on SoundCloud. Um, we're also on iTunes. Please subscribe, tell your friends. And yeah, thanks for listening. We'll uh, see you next time.